beginning a new series of messages called Love Letters, and we are looking at a small collection of little letters in the back of your New Testament, um, kind of uh, right before the book of Revelation. A lot of people don't know this, but the, the New Testament is, to a certain extent, arranged in a certain way. When it has like an author like Paul, the author Apostle Paul, it takes Paul's longest letters, like First and Second Corinthians or Romans, and puts those at the front, and then his shortest, and it kind of whittles its way down to some of his shorter letters. Uh, and then we have things like the book of Hebrews and things like that. But beyond Hebrews is this collection of shorter letters. Among them are the Apostle John's three epistles. Epistle just means letter. Uh, his three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, and then um, we have the book of Jude. So, hey, Jude. There we go. Don't let me down. Um, so we are going to start the series with the last of those short little letters. If, you, if you're looking for the book of Jude, go right before, go to the book of Revelation, turn left. All right, it'll be right there before the book of Revelation begins. That's where you find it in your Bible. And <coughs> Jude... Uh, we gonna, we're going to have to establish a couple of things as before we begin. But first of all, who was Jude? What do we know? Who was this guy? Um, to that end, I'm going to read to you um, two different passages, one from Matthew, one from the book of Acts. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you have Jesus teaching and, and healing people in his own hometown, and this is the response that he gets from people in his hometown, is not, this is Matthew 13, verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? All right? So we, we see here from this text, uh, most people agree that Jesus had was part of a family. He was the firstborn of Mary and Joseph's children. He had brothers. He had sisters. We'll see that in a moment. Um, actually, I, I truncated that verse. Never mind. It goes on in uh, Matthew thirteen fifty six to talk of, to mention his sisters. Um, so, uh, just just pause there for a minute. I thought it was bad growing up with my obnoxiously perfect older brother who made straight A's. Um, can you imagine being Jesus' little brother or little sister? It's like, oh, they must have hated him. Just kidding. Um, but there we go, Matthew 13, 55, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Um, all these were of one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We see again this reiteration that Jesus was part of a family. Um, so this brother mentioned in Matthew 13, 55, Judas, becomes known throughout church history by an abbreviated form of that name because who wants to go through 
like the early church period with the name Judas. Like that's not okay. So he goes by Jude. In the early church, they refer to him as Jude to distinguish him from the disciple who, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Um, so we learn from all of this, we think that Jude was the brother of Jesus. He grew up in Mary and Joseph's house with his family, uh, with Jesus being the firstborn. Um, then we're going to go into the book of Jude, and here's what I've done. I've excerpted verses 1 through 4, and then verses 17 through 25. And, and the reason for that is very simple. Um, the, the verses in between, verses 5 through 16, are really only unpacking verse 4. So the, Jude goes into a long tirade, really, uh, a rant against false teachers. And so he, he opens the letter and expresses his initial intent and his now new intent behind the letter. And then he starts unleashing his feelings about false teachers in his time period. And he uses in that uh, sort of unrolling of his issue with false teachers, he uses several literary references that are part, w would have been part of Jewish contemporary cultural uh, understanding at that time period. You don't understand many of the references that he's making because you didn't grow up in the first century as a Jewish kid. And so I'm just going to just sort of jump over those. I read them for yourself. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but there's not much that's bright between verse 4 and verse 18. Um, he's going off on a problem that has presented itself to the church or churches to whom he is writing. And so I'm not really skipping it. It's all right there in verse 4, and we'll unpack it a little bit ourselves. But I'm going to spare you the, the Jewish literary references. He goes through several. There are about a dozen Jewish literary references uh, in that little, those 12 verses or so between where we drop off and pick back up. Um, so that's how we're going to approach it. Uh, the theme for this series is, is love because of 1 John, the, the, the biggest of these little love letters in the back of your Bible. Um, but you'll see similar themes as we read through Jude. You'll see just in these first three verses the word love or beloved used multiple times. Pay attention to that. But we're going to read Jude verses. So the book is, the letter is so short, it doesn't have any chapters. It only has verse references. So if ever, you know, someone ever says something like Jude chapter 3, it's not there, right? It's Jude verse 1 through 25. So, book of Jude, verses 1 through 4 first, and then 17 through 25. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Can I just interrupt there for a moment? That's, I think that's called literary humility. Like, he's not, he's not saying, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, so you got to listen to what I say. He is saying, I'm, ja I'm James' brother, who is the leader of 
of the Jewish Christian movement in Israel at this time. Um, but how humbly he says, I'm just a servant of Jesus, just like you. Um, my relationship to him is based on salvation, not my family of origin. Um, but I am James's brother. I'm the church leader's brother. So I do have something to say. I want to use my credentials, but I don't want to overplay that hand. All right. Again, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And then, skipping to verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's how you end a letter, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Wow. Um, and so, just to give you the overview, he opens with these themes of love, beloved, and then he goes on his rant against false teachers, and he spends most of his effort um, sort of laying out uh, these allusions to Jewish literature where bad things happen to bad people. Um, and then he comes back later in the book to the theme, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he goes to close with this great, it's often called the doxology of Jude, those last two verses. These are strong, uh, powerful words that he uses to conclude his letter. Um, you, you saw the reference of in the last time, verse 18, 18, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. I'm just going to read to you from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15, and the first part of verse 16. Uh, this is Jesus talking, and he says to his followers, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. And he goes on to, to sort of reiterate that. 
you can see three different apostles in the New Testament who are calling out false teachers. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 does that. Uh, Peter does that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And then the Apostle John calls out false teachers uh, in the letter 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Um, so this is, a, this is a problem in the early church. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You have this, this young religious movement that has not identified the scriptures yet. They don't really have anything other than the Old Testament to go by. And many of the people in their time period who followed the teachings of the Old Testament had missed the Messiah altogether. And so you have a whole unfolding of misunderstandings and misappropriations of understanding and grace, etc. And so it's, it makes sense that the early church experienced confusion and, and leadership conflicts and they didn't have the, the standard of guidance that we call the New Testament yet. They had some of it, but not all of it. And so as you can see, these false teachers inspire the writing of letters like Jude that form part of our New Testament. So this is important in that uh, we get the thoughts of Jesus' brother Jude strictly from the fact that he was, ex he was seeing these false teachers, the damage they were doing, and he goes to warn his, his beloved about the problem of misunderstanding the gospel. So, let's just uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to go to uh, the 1960s in our culture. And does anyone know um, what album the song Hey Jude was released on? It's a trick question. It was released as a single. It was the A side. Now, if you're under the age of like 40 and you don't know what a single was, it was this little, uh, little small record called a 45 RPM record. It had a big hole in the middle, and it only had room for one song on one side, and then you flip it over. Does anyone, and that was called the B side. The A side is the song that sold that little record. The B-side was the garbage they usually put on the other side just so they could say that it sold, right? Um, does anyone know what the B-side was of Hey Jude? Great song. Revolution. Yes. Um, so Hey Jude was, was recorded during their sessions for what eventually became known as their White Album. But there was so much material that they were dumping into that studio at that time period. This was the, uh, they needed something to establish Apple Records. And so Hey Jude was the first single released by Apple Records. Um, how do you know when you're looking at an Apple 45, which is the A side and which is the B side? Did no one else have Beatles singles? So it was a green apple on the A side, and on the B side, the apple was cut, up, cut in half, and it was it, the, you could see the middle. 
you'd see the cut apple on the B side. And that's how you knew A side, B side. Does nobody else? I, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, that was like the anthology collection that just has everything, right? Yeah, which is awesome. Um, and, and my only feeling on that was it was too much. Like, there's so much stuff. There's, I don't know how many CDs came in that collection, but that was a lot. Yeah. Um, anybody know the backstory to Hey Jude? <laughs> Nobody. Really. So, um, Julian Lennon was about five or six years old at this time, and his parents had divorced, and his dad was seeing this Japanese artist named Yoko Ono. And Julian was visibly upset. And at this time period, the Beatles, like, their studio was chaos, right? They would just bring all kinds of family and friends in, and it was just, you know. And so Paul McCartney, who had always been close to Julian Lennon, um, saw how upset Julian was, and Julian called him Uncle Paul, which is pretty cool. They were that close, and they remain close throughout their lives. They're still close today, um, but Paul wanted to write a song to Julian um, about just to encourage him to, like, get over the hump and embrace this change that's happened, and uh, so he wrote, initially it was Hey Jules, which is what Paul would have called Julian as a child. Um, and then in the studio, at some point, somebody said Jude, and they all went, that's better. That'll, that'll, that'll sound better. And they went with Hey Jude. So the song is written by Paul McCartney uh, to Julian Lennon. It gets credit as a McCartney-Lennon collaboration in the, the historiography of the Beatles' writings, but it was really written by Paul um, for his, you know, sort of pseudo-nephew. But um, there's a comfort song, trying to encourage and exhort. Um, okay, that's enough Beatles trivia for now. Um, so as we look at these passages in the book of Jude, in the letter of Jude, um, what do we take? First, to just kind of jump through these early verses and then that material we kind of jumped over, I'll just state it this way. You were made to go out and get her. All right? Somebody sees what I'm doing here. Um, I was eager to write to you, verse 3, about, your com about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. You and I are in a battle between good and evil. We are right in the middle. We are at the focal point of the battle between good and evil because God loves you. He has called you out of darkness into light. Darkness hates you and is trying to drag you down, drag you back, and pull you away from the love of God. It, there's a battle. It's in your heart. That's where it really exists and rages each and every day. There, you are in a battle between good and evil. You were made 
to go out and get her, to take it to the forces of darkness with simply, well, we'll talk about the weapons that you're allowed to use. You were made to go out and get her, to be in this battle. You're to remember to let her into your heart. That is the love of God. You are his beloved, we are told in the opening of this letter. He loves you. He's crazy about you. It's his love that makes the change within you from darkness to light. So remember to let her into your heart. That is your calling. You may only wield in the battle between good and evil. These are your weapons, Jude tells us. Mercy, peace, and love. You're not allowed to hate. You're not allowed to be mean. You're not allowed to be unfair. You're only allowed to be kind, to bring about peace, and to demonstrate love. Mercy, peace, and love. These are our weapons in the battle between good and evil. And Jude then reminds us that we must not be surprised by misguided people. It's going to happen. Misguided people are everywhere. And he gives us, just in verse 4, the, the pattern that he will unroll throughout the rest of this book until he gets to about verse 19. This is what misguided people in the church will do. They will distort grace. Did I say don't be afraid? Did I say that? I forgot to say that. Okay. We remember to let her into our heart. That is the love of God. We wield only mercy, peace, and love. We're not to be surprised by the misguided people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These are the signs of spiritual rebellion that Jude calls false teachers. And then he goes through a dozen or more examples of these kinds of things throughout the history of, of the Jewish people. But here they are. People will distort grace. And he says that, that rebellion, spiritual rebellion, has ancient roots. It goes way, way back to that point in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve chose their own will over God's will. These are ancient roots, but the first thing you'll notice is the distortion of grace. And that will go one way or the other, right? They either downplay grace and play up the law, or they play up grace, they overplay the hand of grace, and they say you can do whatever you want because God's forgiven you, which ironically is true. You can. That's actually a true statement. That's not the basis for preaching and teaching and Christian living, right? We don't live out of license. We live out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And that compels us toward obedience and faithfulness and the reflection of those things that are in the heart of God. But it is true that you can, if you are forgiven by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you can do whatever you want. You're already forgiven. That is true. 
But my encouragement to you is that that is not the way to live. To live with, with license and selfishness, this is not what God died for. He died to change you, to, to completely renovate your heart and not to just give you license to do whatever you want. And so Jude says people will distort grace. They will distort sexuality. You will either have uh, sexual permissiveness or exploitation or perversion or any other distortion of sexuality. This is what false teachers do. And he shows this pattern throughout Jewish cultural history. Um, you can see it uh, like that nut job in Waco, right? David Koresh. And how many women in that church had his children? Like most of them? That's not creepy, right? But my point is simply this. You, you see in false teachers, you see these different tendencies unrolling. It's a pattern. It's a, it's a, it gives shape. It's distortion of grace, distortion of sexuality or biblical sexuality. People will distort Christ. They will either diminish his divinity or they will diminish his humanity. Either one is a distortion. He is both fully God, fully human. Uh, he exists with those two entities in harmony in his person. Um, anything else is, is a distortion of God's word, of God's son, of God's gift to the world. People distort grace, sexuality, Christ, and these people will, will create relational chaos. They will create relational chaos. So the, the false teacher component has bears all of these fruits. Just like Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, here they are. Jude lays them out uh, in simple form in verse 4 and then unpacks that using Jewish cultural references for the next, I don't know, 15 verses or so. Here, here we are in the battle between good and evil. And, and just look around uh, our culture at, at the redefining of everything that's taking place and before our eyes. Um, we're in the battle. Everything is happening now. It's happening in the world. It's happening in our hearts. But here are the fruits of this problem, this manifestation of false teachers in the battle between good and evil. So you were made to go out and get her, but don't make it bad. Jude tells us that we are to major on love. Love is the point. Love is the thing that we are to be about. We are to be the people who can take a sad song and make it better. That, look at verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. He's just gone on a rant against all the things that can go wrong in one's spiritual life. And then he says, not you. You're to take a sad song and make it better. 
You do this by investing in your faith and engaging in prayer. So, you're here today, A+. plus. Even if you're zooming in, you get an A+. plus. You're in the right place. You are engaging your faith. I, I don't know about you, but I, I live in my own Tomaverse, right? And when I'm fully consumed with myself, uh, it actually helps me to come in here and see people up here who are fully engaged in worship, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I need to be doing. I want to be like them. I don't want to be self-absorbed and, and focused on me. I want to be focused on God. I, be, I want my faith to be the defining characteristic in determining who I am not my own selfishness, not my own pride, not my own ego. So it helps me to come here, to engage my faith, to see other people who are doing that same thing, making God a priority in their lives. I'm helped by that. And then the other thing that Jude reminds us of is this simple idea that we have access to the God of the universe, anywhere we are, at any time, through the simple action of prayer, of just stopping and saying, God, help me, be with me, guide me, teach me, that we have access to the greatest being in the universe anytime, anywhere, through prayer. That is how we take a sad song and make it better. We invest in our faith and we engage in prayer. And any time you feel the pain, refrain. You've heard it, right? Are you just now figuring out where I'm going with this? Okay, all right. It was clear all along. Um, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That you and I have access to something that transcends this world, that transcends our problems, our fears, everything. That when we are in the midst of conflict, we can have peace. We can be merciful verse 22. He says it a couple of different ways. And have mercy on those who doubt. Now, a little bit of an aside, I find it beautifully ironic. His brother, James, in the one epistle or letter we have from James, goes off on doubters. It's like, don't be like them. They're terrible. Don't do that. I actually think doubt is a healthy thing. Uh, if, if you doubt in the context of your relationship with Christ, I think it's healthy. It leads to a deeper faith, a deeper trust, a deeper, a deeper understanding of, of God's grace. Um, but I love the contrast between these two brothers. 
One of them's like, don't be like the doubters. They're empty. And this one's like, hey, be merciful to the doubters. Have some grace. Be nice. And uh, what does he say? Have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. Uh, I think Paul, <coughs> excuse me, I think the Apostle Paul talked about when you, when you go to correct someone who's in sin, be careful. Like you can, you can just as quickly fall into sin as they have. Like, be careful when you're doing, there's so many things that can go wrong. Go in, be merciful, Jude says. Be kind. Go that way. But be careful, right? Like, this is, this is dangerous work that we are called to do. And so, be wise, be careful, be aware that things can go wrong. Um, but any time... You feel the pain, refrain, go back, revert back to the call to love, to be kind, to make peace. So you were made to go out and get her in the battle between good and evil, her being love. Don't make it bad. Major on love and let her under your skin. Then you begin. Sorry, we'll get there. So Jude tells us, don't carry the world on your shoulders. Somebody's already done that. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're going to look now at those last two verses of the letter of Jude. This call, don't carry the world on your shoulders. Listen, to, there's somebody who has it. He's got this. This is how Jude describes him. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. How, how do I say this? Your God is not afraid of anything. Think of the thing, the fears that haunt us as humans. God shares none of those fears with you. He's not afraid of anything, including your own sin. You know why? He's already got this. He's already carried your sin to the cross and nailed it there. You are forgiven. You are free. Would you please just take a deep breath let it out, and let it in. You are forgiven. God cherishes you. He's got everything you're worried about covered. He loves you, and he has this. Trust the one who has handled it, that is your sin, and find the joy that only he can bring. Can I say it again? 
You are forgiven. The weight of your sin is gone. Does that mean you should go do whatever you want? No. It means you're forgiven and the weight of your sin is taken by Christ on his shoulders. It's been lifted from you. Go in freedom and joy. That is how you change the world. By living in freedom and joy that you cannot find on your own, through your own striving, through your own effort. Don't carry the world on your shoulders. Trust the one who did and find the joy only he can bring. So let it out and let it in. Let out the fullness of God's glory. That's what we call worship. And your worship is not confined to the time and space that you are with us on Sunday morning. Your worship is everything. It's all of your life. It's every day. It's every night. It's everything. And in that state, we are called to express the fullness of God's glory. And then to let in that love that always has been, is now, and always will be. God's eternal love. I don't think I can emphasize this point heavily enough. When, when you are in this world and you are inundated with the realities of life, this is not all there is. There is a love that transcends this existence, that connects you to something eternal, something holy, something wonderful, something beautiful, that literally changes your perspective on this world, yourself, your creator. It is transformative that you are loved by an eternal love. You can't get that at Walmart. You can only get that through rendering yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ, of sitting before his cross and wondering why on earth would he do that for me? And as you contemplate the fact that the only answer to that question is love, then you begin to make it better. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that which transforms and reshapes who we are and how we live that you are the God of love who sent his son to take on our sin, to shoulder the burden of our sin, to take it to the cross and nail it there, that we can be free, that we can be changed, and that we can have joy.
the joy that redefines who we are. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to live in such a way that we both realize the joy that comes from your love and we live out and express that joy to those around us. That we may be those who are redefined by love and joy. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.